Well, there you hear the subtle snow blowing. Perfect for this time of year. Kind of also a dreariness to 2021 as it's coming to a close, but I'm kind of cheery today. Not just because this is the fourth episode of The Corner of Hunter and George, which you can hear on iTunes, but also that this is the first time you're going to hear me interview an artist who is non-musical. She is a writer, Michelle Berry, who, as you'll hear in the interview, I about four years ago, four and a half years ago, took a correspondence course with when she was instructing at U of T, which I honestly don't remember a lot about, but I remember doing those things kind of part-time on and off at that period, trying to pretend I was a writer. Well, this is a real writer, but she's more than a writer. She, for several years, ran Hunter Street Books in our town, now she's de decided to focus solely on her writing. She already has seven novels and a number of short stories under her name. We're going to focus on one she did recently called Everything Turns Away. She's also working on another. And another novel she had recently, The Prisoner and the Chaplain, might be turned into something for the movies or television. And this was my interview with her. I found it quite enjoyable. Someone who has an understanding of both the day-to-day -day life, but also the writing world as well. There's many different directions you can go with Michelle Berry. So here's my interview right Hi, here. Sorry, it's a bit late getting on. Hi, no problem. Okay. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, so I'll it'll just be about 40 minutes or so. Uh, sure. Just a kind of a really, probably a really terrible Eleanor Wachtell imitation. Of <laughs> yeah. Actually, Eleanor Wachtell's kind of hard to talk to, actually. I prefer Sheila Rogers. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I was listening to her later, John, late, or recently, I mean, I've, I mean, I've listened to her for years, but uh, when I was listening to her recently, Jonathan France, and he seemed to love her, but uh, yes. Yeah, it depends. She, yeah. I was on once with her, and afterwards she said, you're much better in real life than you are in radio, Michelle. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I should mention one thing before it began. So I, I didn't know this myself till about 24 hour, hours ago, because I'm, I'm not really that good with memory. But uh, I was just, instead of putting Hunter Street books on Gmail, I was putting your name. And I right. noticed, oh, your name comes up from 2017. I guess I was in one of your courses at U of T. No way! Yes, it was a correspondence course. So yes. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yes. I don't yes. recognize your name. So yeah. No. Which was it was it creative writing in general or novel writing? Or do you remember which one it was? It likely was novel writing, but I, I I'd have to look that up to see. That's, yes. That's great. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna start with basically like so you've I mean you are in the last days, I guess, of Hunter Street books, but still yeah. you for number of years you've been running your own business you still have been writing and am i correct in saying were you still doing some work with u of t and even humber i was teaching at u of t the first year i ran the store and then i just couldn't do it anymore i was ha i had i think the first day i opened the store i had two classes of 30 students and i thought i would be able to sit at the store and um teach and it just became a nightmare so uh i quit at that point 
Okay. And Humber I haven't done in years. Humber was um, the mentor program, and that's off and on, but I haven't really done that for about five or six years. Okay. Well, still, even just running your own business and writing, and plus you've had some health challenges as well. Yes. Uh, like, how have you done it? Like, I know, like, how did you do it, I guess? I really think the health challenges are because of it, <laughs> because okay. of the stress from it. Um it was a nightmare at, at first. Um, I, I had taken on too much. I really thought that I would own this store and have a place to write and it would be a quiet little store and people would come in and buy books. Um, and it was a quiet little store and people came in and bought books, but they talked to me all day long, which was great. I loved it, but I never really got the focus. So I, I wasn't able to write and I did have to give up teaching. Um, and uh, it became just my life. The store was my life. I, I mean, I had some staff on the weekends, but that wasn't for about the first year. And um, I, I was over, overwhelmed. It's it's a big business running your own business, you know. So um, that's why I'm, I'm quitting because I'm going back to try to balance my life with the things that I, I want to be in my life. Like I've always just wanted to write and I've seemed to always take on all these other jobs in order to be a writer. And for the first time in my life, I think I can, at least for a while until I get bored again, I can just write right now. Okay. Well, that, that must be a nice feeling. It is. It's a very good feeling. Yes. Okay. And I, I like you've had um, various locations in your life. Like, if I correct to say you're born in California. Yeah, I was born yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. You're raised, you're raised in Victoria. And uh, I lived in Virginia for a while as a kid until I was about eight. So we came to Canada when I was eight. Okay. And you lived for a while in Toronto, of course. Yeah. And then now recent more in Peterborough. I don't know. Is there, it, is that just natural for a writer? Or is there any sort of location that you feel more embodies you as a person or? That's interesting because yeah. uh, most of the writers I know have moved a lot in their lives. Uh, we mm -hmm. did it because my dad was a professor and we moved around a lot. Um, but I, I think there's something about being a writer and being uh, someone who never sort of had a set home. Like I, I really don't feel, I don't know where my home is, um, is that you create your own home in your head and you create these characters and situations and stuff because you've, you've seen so much other stuff and you don't have that like feeling of one place. And that is, if you look at my novels, really setting is not that important. There's sort of nowhere areas. They're just, they, the people exist, um, but you don't really know where they are. Um, so, but I would say like there are times, you know, you think, Oh, when I die, where will I be buried? And it's like, well, first of all, I'll be cremated, but I, I don't know where, home would be you know my, my parents are back in Victoria but I've lived I lived in Toronto longer than I lived in Victoria um with them so yeah no I think I think a lot of writers have have this this thing if you look back on all these writers who've come from their the, come from other countries or you know they they've moved a lot <laughs> right uh and what is something I guess now that you're able to move on and write um what is something you think you're going to take away most from Hunter Street books that you've, I guess, learned through through these several years? Yeah, I, I learned I learned that if I put my mind to anything, I can do it. Like I, I really have learned. I mean, I, I I was an art student. I never never did math, and now I'm you know able to do retail. <laughs> you know, I'm able to 
do my reports every month and my end of year sales and all this kind of stuff and understand it slightly. Um, so, and, and that, that I'm 53 years old right now and I can walk into a new life and, and I can do it. You know, if all else fails, you can try something else and, and I, can, I can do it. So I have more confidence in myself from that. Um, I've also learned that, that I'm not waiting for the muse anymore. You can't. There's no muse up there just like giving you something. You just have to, you have to just go to your writing and do it a little bit every day if you can. Even, even if it's five minutes, just do it and put it, like, treat it like work, you know. And in the long run, even though you're treating it like work, you go back and read it and you think, how did that happen? You still have that magic in it when you treat it like work, which I didn't know before. I always thought I had to treat it like this romantic vision of what a writer is um and nope i can i can write down a whole um outline of everything and try to stick with it or not stick with it but have some somewhere to go in the morning to that thing that's sitting here just like my you know how when you when you're running a store or any other business you have a list of things you have to do in the morning well you can do that with your writing as well so mm -hmm. i learned that and i also learned that i need silence around me when i when I write, I, I can't have people asking me questions. I can edit when people come in the store. I was able to do a lot of editing and I did some, I was on some juries. So I was doing some you know, serious reading and things like that. But uh, when I'm in my writing head, I have to be focused on that and nobody can interrupt me, you know? Right, right. And so turning to your, I guess your last piece of writing, everything turns away. It kind of has that um, sort of, startling opening line uh, when the babysitter sitter is awakening she's uh, she is in a strange kitchen and I guess the whole what I get from reading it is kind of the whole story I think that you once explained uh, relating to one of uh, Auden's poems it's kind of this unsettlement that we can if we think we think things are like in order and the grass is cut and all that but uh, it can be in an inst in an instantaneous moment where things yeah. totally fall apart and i guess i guess i'm asking is that sort of a sort of a thematic theme that you sort of took into that piece of writing Def definitely and and i'm basing it on the the fact that when something big happens every like the pandemic everybody mm -hmm. processes it differently and some people turn away from it. Some people's whole lives get affected by it. Some people, you know, um, I, I don't know. Everybody just doesn't know how to react to the thing and doesn't know. And some people ignore it, you know. Um, so, yes, it, that was a very big theme in it. And that's why the title came out of that, because the, the poem, the Auden poem, is all about um, Bruegel's painting. It's not actually Bruegel. It, we found out later it wasn't Bruegel's painting, but of Icarus falling and everybody looking away from the scene of the disaster. So Icarus is falling into the water and, and the dogs are playing, the kids are running, the, you know, people are whipping their horses and everybody in the picture is not paying attention to the momentous thing that's happening. And so what I did with Everything Turns Away is I, tur I took a horrible situation in Toronto that was happening and, and had it be mirrored with... 9-11 as well in, in New York. And, uh, and so, so they're all affected by what's happening in New York, but they're also more affected by what's happening in their lives. And all the different characters get touched by it in different ways. I mean, some of them don't even mention 9-11 as if they didn't even know it had happened. 
Um, and, and I was interested in that when I when when it happened, because I saw 9-11 happening live on my television. I was getting ready for for doing my work. I had taken my kids to um, daycare and school and I was up in my room just getting ready and it it happened and I watched it live and I started to panic and started to, you know, you didn't know if the world was ending at that point. Whereas my husband was at work at City Hall and he was in a meeting and he had no idea this was happening. And until in fact, Jack Layton came into the meeting, pounded on the door and said, everybody out, you know, and then he had to walk home to the beaches from, from uh, the City Hall. Um, and in the whole time, so he was not as affected. I sort of had post-traumatic stress from watching this whole thing happen for a couple hours. Um, and he sort of was, you know, he was terrified and everything, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same reaction that we had. And for years, it, it hasn't been the same reaction. Um, so that's kind of what I was playing with in the, in the title there. And it's not really a book about 9-11 at all. It's, I mean, it takes place in a different city and it has the one character, the uh, second person character who does get completely affected by 9-11. Um, but he's a little crazy in the first place too. So you know, but the, the characters is really about what happens to them at that dinner party and then how it affects everything and changes everything. And then they make a decision about their own lives after that. And things change, which might not have changed if 9-11 hadn't happened, you know. Right. So, yeah, no, I was I yeah, I was I was going to get to some of the things you're just saying. So, yeah, one of them is that I, I don't think just in this piece of writing, I think other ones you've done, you you really uh, kind of focus on sort of um, the possible, the, I guess the possible challenges that come up in various human relationships, in yes. particular, kind of like a, in a family setting. Um, like, I, I think one thing I, I got from this book, and, and I believe I've seen in even things like your short stories is kind of this guilt and shame kind of thing that comes up yeah you think uh, i was catholic or something i'm just full yes. of guilt <laughs> yes yeah i don't i guess do you see that as sort of something it's an inevitability in any long-term relationship uh that sort of sort of like that coming up as an issue any any anyway yeah no i do i think i think that you know as a kid or as a teenager you tend to think that you will fall in love and you'll know everything about that person and that that, that mm. person will be and they'll know everything about you until the day you die and all this sort of stuff and and then you get older and you realize nobody will know everything about you and you don't even know everything about you. you're always discovering things about yourself um and so relationships to me are so interesting in that way and that and that people who can be completely enamored with each other have no idea about some something somebody's thinking the other person's thinking um, and so I like to I like to experience relationships. I like to experience um, and write about dysfunctional relationships, especially because um, I, I like dysfunction and I find people more interesting that way. Uh, if everybody's perfect in a in a story, it's no fun, you know. Um, and and everybody has dysfunctions and everybody treats other people poorly. And other, uh, you know, we all we all make mistakes all the time. So I focus on that a lot in my in my writing, definitely. Um, and in fact, they, they are calling this a domestic thriller. So I, you know, and saying, and I've read some reviews and stuff where people are saying that, that Michelle is able to, um, look at relationships and, and marriages in certain ways, you know, that other people don't see and stuff like that. So, so I guess it's a, a little part of 
all my writing, you're right. It's in short stories. It's in everything. And it's not just marriage. It's just relationships between brothers and sisters or fathers and, and sons and, and things like that. So, and, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying about plot, like or about setting. It's not, setting is not important. It's the people's relationships and how they talk to each other and what they feel inside and how they're not able to communicate to their partner that they think they can communicate to and the guilt they feel and things like that. Right. Yeah. You were mentioning it like how they were referring to it as a thriller. Yeah. I noticed that comes up a lot when people have talked about your work. And to be honest, that term for me, I, it's also, it's a little too generic for me to. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yes. I don't really know how to, what to make of that because. I think, I think publishers have to, they have to find where they can put it on the shelf, you know, where it goes in the bookstore, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, they just can't figure out, like they call it a literary thriller and they call all my other stuff, a literary, literary thrillers, um, which to me means that I don't follow the genre way of writing for sure mm. um but i guess you put a dead body in a in a book and it becomes a thriller. <laughs> I, don't I don't even read thrillers <laughs> yes yeah no i i get more of like uh not necessarily your specific like um surroundings of your narrative but some of the elements of it that we were just talking about i get if there's sort of any sort of like influence i'm hearing it's more like of a 19th century kind of Tolstoy or Victorian kind of thing, like these intricacies between various people that I- Interesting, I, I like that, thank that you. I, that I get from any sort of thing, I guess I would term thriller, but uh, yeah, again, kind of, it's kind of an empty meaning for me anyway, but- Well, and it's interesting that you say that because I'm really interested in structure. And I don't know if you've, like a lot of my other books are, structured in a certain way so like blind crescent is all about a cul-de-sac and it's all the people you get to see them as you go around the cul-de-sac and then they start a few of them start meeting each other and you get to see that and then at the end everyone gathers the climax is the whole city you know the whole group of people at in the middle of the cul-de-sac meeting together so you you actually could take apart that novel and draw it how it how it connects mm -hmm. Um, together and then structure even in this one the weaving of everybody weaving over and over and over again and the occasional you um, second person guy just sliding into the weaving it's it's very important to me to have a huge structure to my to my work and things to move and weave in and out of each other so that you kind of feel like you're like you're being set up or controlled or whatever and i don't know if you can see behind you i mean this is radio so nobody else can see but i'm working on a new novel right now in the back and i've been putting up stickies on a board to right. show where they are and i tend to do this with my stuff I, I actually visualize it at about page 100 so that i can see where it's going and i'm only about page 60 right now and i can see that all my stickies are actually the exact same length of each one all the way down so each i have maybe five chapters on each section, like there are different months and five sections, you know, and I didn't know I was doing that. It's just like structurally kind of fit itself into that, that pattern. Um, so, yeah, yeah. No, well, they, yeah, they look qu quite organized and they, there's a meaning to what you're saying. I don't, it's yeah. just random placement of stickies. Yeah. And Tolstoy and that kind of did that. Everything was yeah. very structured that way. Um, mm. But yeah, no, and, and that's funny because if you think about what a thriller really is, it's sort of, chronological they start with the murder and then they go i mean they might have a right. prologue that sort of throws you off to something else but it just kind of goes along until you figure out the crime right or whatever and um 
because you have to constantly build the, the momentum in, in a thriller. And that's sort of what I don't do. I have the thriller elements, but I don't build that slowly. And, it, you know, it sort of moves around all the time. So that's maybe why it's called literary. <laughs> literary <Okay. thriller. laughs> uh, now, uh, something not just from everything turns away, but other parts of your work. Um, yeah, when you're saying that, like, the location doesn't really matter. One thing I, I remember thinking uh like when looking over some of your work and the, at least the parts i've read too is not just you're not just saying location doesn't matter but that's kind of a reality for us in a lot of ways these days like every suburbia like suburbia here is not that different from suburbia on the west coast or suburbia across the, the ocean that sort of thing i don't know if that's ever come to you or not but uh i i, I sometimes am getting that as kind of like a a background or a subconscious message you send out sort of to your yeah I also don't I don't like to to pause the plot to mm -hmm. tell you what everybody looks like and what the stuff around them is like mm -hmm. I'm just not interested I just want to keep going with especially dialogue I'm really interested in dialogue and I and I just want to keep going with the momentum and keep it going and if you stop halfway through and say oh well you know the house is green on the outside and has these wonderful shuttered windows it just pauses everything for too long you know i have no patience basically right for no, setting I, I certainly get that yes I and i you know i don't awesome. really pay attention to setting to be honest mm -hmm. um i you know i go back now to visit well i don't now with covid but i go back to visit my parents in victoria and i'm astonished at how beautiful it is i didn't notice any of that when i was a kid growing up there you know you just mm -hmm. sort of look around and um, you don't realize what you're living in. It's also Peterborough right now. I'm looking out the window and it's beautiful snow, but mm -hmm. you know, it could be beautiful summer and it wouldn't sort of change me in any way. I'm not, it, that's not going to affect what I'm thinking in my head, you know? Right. Right. Um, and, uh, it's one thing I was wanting to, uh, mention like, um, I guess about sort of guilt and shame, I guess, uh, or just 9-11 and, ex sorry, more 9-11, I guess, I'm trying to think. Um, do you see like sort of how we've reacted as a society to COVID to having anything similar to sort of how many reacted to what happened 20 years ago? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. It's, it's, it's it's going to be one of those things where 20 years from now hopefully it'll be mm -hmm. over and we'll mm -hmm. be where were you when covid started just like 911 mm -hmm. um you know it's a it's a momentous time and how people are reacting and acting you see the good things you see people falling in love you see people visiting their parents more and things like that um and how things changed in the world nothing will be the same after this just like really nothing was and it's it's hard. I have a, um, a woman on, on, I was looking at a review on Goodreads and she says she really liked everything turns away, but she said, I'm 18 and I don't understand the impact of 9-11. She wasn't mm -hmm. there for that, you know, and it was extremely impactful for the world. It changed, it changed the world. Um, you know, we, we just had no concept of this ever happening before. It was, it was, it was, and to watch it on television, the way we watch and COVID, the same thing is happening. You know, we're watching, all of this on television we're not knowing how to react or how to write things about it like i i mean i couldn't write anything about covid right now it'd be very difficult things are changing mm -hmm. so quickly um and nobody wants to see it anymore or hear it um you know we're, we're inundated with it every day 
So I, yeah, I think both of them, and I didn't, you know, of course I sold this book three years ago, so we had no idea that, that the pandemic was going to happen. Um, but it's amazing to me to watch how it's sort of, my book is making a little bit more sense for a sort of drastic event in life that this, it's making the sense that we're living in that right now too, you know? So I think people are connecting with my novel because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we seem to definitely, yeah, there's referring to also what you said earlier, like this sort of uh, element of everyone wanting to sort of deny what's around them. Yeah. I, I think some of it, you can now talk of this as an expert since you, you ran a store for several years, sort <laughs> of the book industry itself and the Amazon or Amazonian kind of effect on it. Like mm -hmm. the one thing I often hear is like, you just simply cannot write something that it's kind of out of status quo or like really one of these original framed novels or something anymore. It has to fit a certain genre and fit a certain yeah. selection so it fits on Jeff Bezos' page properly and everything. But the funny thing is yeah. running the store is that I realized that people don't go for those things. And when Trump yeah. was in power, we had all these books about Trump and there's nobody in Peterborough. That, like the, the, the booksellers would make me buy them for the store and say, you have to have 10 mm -hmm. copies of this because everybody's going to want it. I have a whole bunch of John Bolton books in the cupboard back here now still that nobody bought, you know. Um, I think, I think the, the industry is a little behind in not understanding that people are smarter than they think and that people want something new and different. I mean, look at mm -hmm. Life of Pi by Jan Martel. How would you have fit that into anything before that happened? Somebody took a chance on that and it became huge, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, running the store for five years in Peterborough, I did not sell bestsellers. There was never, a, a even Michelle Obama's book when it came out, I sold maybe four. Mm -hmm. nobody wants that you know and they want that if they go to costco to buy their books or they go to amazon to buy the books or chapters when it's there's a hundred of them right there pushing you in your face you know um but i i only had one of each book in my store and people would browse around and see that you you can curate things um so that you get a sense of of your customer and hopefully something you push them in a different direction and something you know they like but i guess when they go on amazon they they only see the five top ones there and they're they're ranked and the algorithms are working for you and picking the ones you want and all this kind of stuff but that's not trusting your reader to see something new and to to like something they might not have been familiar with i have i had a lot of customers at the store um where i sold books to them that they came back after and said oh my god i would never have picked this up and it it was the best thing i've read you know mm -hmm. um so yeah, I find that actually someone who currently works a bit with uh, the public library downtown, um, you see uh, most people coming in and it's just really a wide variety of fiction. I don't really see too many people taking out nonfiction. Interesting. And while I know it has some of an interest, uh, you don't really see too many people asking like to read it on like ebooks or something. They, they want like just one of the copies of the book. Well, see, that that explains, that's because of what era we're in right now. When I first started the store, Trump became in power and everybody wanted nonfiction because they wanted to figure out the world and why this happened and everything. Mm -hmm. And then with the pandemic, I think people are so tired of reality. They just want to escape into something. So, I mean, give it another, give it another swing in politics or, or what happens in the world and it'll go back to nonfiction, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and we did become so like um, 
inundated with like uh, 80 different variations or theories on Trump that, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, to be honest, like from an Ontario perspective, someone who's always lived in Ontario, I bet there's a above 50% average in most towns. It's not a common in anyone's intelligence, just what people are interested in, who do not know who John Bolton is or have no interest whatsoever. So yes. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah, but still yeah. still the distributors yeah. made the small little bookstores in Peterborough. They were insistent that we buy this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um now uh one thing like one definitely uh, part of your writing I really have enjoyed reading is more of your earlier works and uh short stories uh where again there's sort of those um again maybe sometimes some of them definitely from a bit more of a adolescent perspective of the characters but um and uh sort of phrase of darkness put in but uh there's just um yeah that's those seem to be like uh I, I I don't know. I my right saying so those short stories sort of sort of help sort of define your kind of style and how you came to be framed how you framed yourself sort of as a writer. Your your sort of yeah. Yeah. Well, I I originally only wanted to be a short story writer, and so for the first uh, five years of writing, I was just all short stories all the time. Um, and then I had I got an agent who said, you know, you're not going to make it unless you write a novel. And then I wrote wrote what we all want, and what we all want basically is a very long short story. It's um, very I kept it simple. It's the same I think four or five characters, uh, chronological. It just it it works like a story, like you could, you could take it down. Um, but I, I love writing short stories. Um, you know, they're just as hard as writing a novel, uh, you know, and the, the hard thing about short stories to me is, is that every day or every month that you go into your office to work, you have to think something new. And whereas a novel is very calming because you can stay with it for two years and you can really get to know your characters. Um, but so in a sense, short stories are actually harder, just like poetry would probably be much harder than writing a short story. Um, you have to get everything in a small little area, you know, get it all summed up together. But I would love to go back to short stories um, sometime. And I, and I think I will in the future. Right now I'm writing another kind of literary thriller sort of thing. Uh, but I, you know, once in a while I send out another short story and, and still keep with them. Um, but they are, they are all, if you put all my work together, I have 11 books and if you, everybody says, oh, you're check, choosing all these different veins to work in. And, and it's not true, really. You really look and you can see what I'm interested in. You can see that they all have um, little clues to each other all the way through that maybe I'll expand an idea that I put in a short story a while ago. Um, so they're all really, really me all together. <laughs> right. And one thing you've said about everything turns away and that certainly uh, got my attention too it's just uh, one element of the story that really keeps you entwined with it is what you were saying earlier the the sort of uh, nameless person in second person that kind of has definitely the dark side to him and yes is, is probably the only one who really cares about 9-11 um, those sort of things that that sort of uh, skill wherever you pick that up really kept me entwined and like really centered on the story and the plot where it was going. Yeah. And that, that kind of character is, 
Yeah. yeah, and that kind of character is in all my short stories. Like my short stories can go off the the rails, and they can be right. very strange. And um, you don't often get when you're when you're creating a whole novel, you don't really get that chance to have a really dysfunctional character all the way through, unless you're really focusing on that person. You know, um, if he's just a, like a bit part, then it's mm-hmm. hard to really develop someone who's got some mental health problems. Um, but yeah, I love him. I love, he's my favorite character. He's the only one I didn't understand by the end. Like I really, no matter how many times I write, write him, I can't, um, I can't picture him and I can't see him. He, he morphs around all the time on me. And when I first started writing that he was, he was based on a whole bunch of articles in the, I don't know if the Globe and Mail used to do this, where they have this back page where they sort of wrote weird things that had happened that week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I can't remember who the guy who did it was, he, he's, but he, he picked up, and so this guy in the novel and everything turns away, like is, is basically like seeing things on the news that are really strange all the time, mm-hmm. and he's mentioning them, so I'm, pull, I'm pulling that in about, you know, that time period and what was happening there, um, and, and his life, and, and if you think about it, this has nothing to do with what you just said, but this really is a historical novel, because mm-hmm. it's from 2001, and so, like they didn't have, they didn't have computer. The kids didn't take computers to class, like laptops and stuff like that. Um, they they just had Palm Pilots had just come out, and they were very excited about that. And I think I have one character mentioning uh, heat seaters, seat heaters, seat heaters in cars, yeah. and like that that was new, and that that was a fancy car and things like that. Um, yeah. So this guy is like just figuring out the the you guy is figuring out the internet for the first time. He orders a dog off the off the internet, and that's just amazing to him that he can do that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, no, I like those dysfunctional characters. They they they're what makes me go back to write every day. This really interesting, strange person that I can't figure out. Right, and some parts of the, those characters as well, I think, sort of add a humor to your stories yes. as well. So at least the dark humor. humor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which is uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess one thing I just curious your views on, like something I sort of hear a lot about, and I sort of, uh, kind of go along with this to a certain extent these days that a lot, a lot of great writers, for example, one person I'm thinking of in this question is Sally Rooney, who's really a great writer, but you will sometimes feel like, okay, is she writing this for Netflix as well? Or is she thinking beyond the novel? And I just wondered how centered that is and uh, some novelists who, you know, have some name for themselves from past works, but uh, like what, you know, they're picturing the movie. They're yeah, picturing no, more of a big picture, yes. Yeah. yeah, no, interesting. Like, I think I'm the opposite of that. I think that when I write, I see the movie in my head. But I'm not writing for the movie. I'm writing it on the paper. But I I am following a movie in my head or a, a limited series or something. Like, it feels like mm-hmm. watching television. It doesn't feel like writing to me. Um, but then when it comes out, I have had a few movie deals and a few options for film. And right now my, um, mm-hmm. my book, The Prisoner and the Chaplain is in, in sort of works in uh, California right now mm-hmm. for, they're not sure if it's going to be a limited series or a movie. Um, and they're the, the, even the sort of mock-up of the, I guess they call it the pitch Bible of how it, it's going to look, looks exactly like my book, right? Because my book fits into it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I have a lot of dialogue in my book, so it, it does fit for film. Um, but I don't write for it to be film. It is actually being written as a film. <laughs> Does that make any sense? I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes. So you're sort of, you're thinking of it in a movie sort of sense when you're 
When yeah, I'm seeing it in my head that way, but I never assume that somebody's going to turn it into a movie. Right, right. And I admit that's one of your works I haven't read, Prisoner and Chaplain, but... Uh, what oh, you you'd think? like that one. Okay, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, the is- structure of that one is very important. Each chapter is one hour in the guy's life before he gets executed. Mm-hmm. And they spend most of the novel in death row in the prison the the chaplain and the prisoner talking and there's flashbacks to what happened um but it's really really structured that's one of my most structured books um each each chapter each hour has the same number of pages basically Mm. so and do you think what what is it is it that or is there something else you think sort of appealed to whoever wants to pick it up and turn it into yeah the, the the two men that i'm working with um the, the one guy just, they just liked the fact that it was, it felt like a play because it, you could pretty much film it. You could see it as a play about two guys just on death row and that, um, and it's deep and dark, but it's also like a comment on, um, uh, on death row on, you know, capital punishment. And it's, 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 you end up by the end. I think the one guy really liked it a lot because you end up by the end feeling quite a lot of sadness for the main character for the prisoner and the the chaplain has his own guilt and he's guilty of certain things and so you've got these two complicated men trying to figure each other out um and then a big twist at the end so that's what they liked hmm. okay well i hope i hope that goes goes well anyway <laughs> yeah you never know i've had a lot of movie deals that just you know four or five years later they don't get made into film but it's really it's it's an honor that people are interested so yeah yes um, and now I, I guess my last one I was going to get into, even though we've been saying location doesn't matter, I guess I try to keep things uh, at a local premise to some part of it. So, uh, yeah, mostly you've lived in like what we would define as cities. Uh, is there something different or something that Peterborough has added that other locations you've lived in have not? I, I guess you did say Virginia, but. Yeah, I was only eight then. I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Yeah, it, it definitely. Um, I, I know in Prisoner and Chaplain, there's a convenience store robbery at one point mm-hmm. that I can picture that from from a, a little convenience store in the neighborhood. I, there's There are certain things that I now see when I'm writing that are set in Peterborough um, that I feel they are in in certain ways. Uh, I, I, and I wonder, will the bookstore in downtown become part of something at some point? I'm sure. And in fact, it is actually my new novel is, is got a sort of the concept is these people move out of Toronto, out of a city to a a country town kind of. And so there's a lot of stuff that I'm putting in that has to do with what it's like living here as opposed to in a big city like Toronto. Right. Um, So, yeah, no, I think, I think parts of, Peterborough will definitely come out in my novel, and I think they probably already already have. Um, you know, you can't help it when you when you live someplace for so long. You uh, you feel it in your gut, you know. Uh, in interference, my interference book had to do with I played hockey at the Evinrude um, for a long time, and so interference has a lot to do with that that arena. You can feel that arena when you're reading it. Right. Okay. That's yeah. Um, and like, just in a, um, like a business sense, like Peterborough definitely has some history of 
bookstores, at least uh, independent or like uh, secondhand stores. Secondhand, I think, yeah. yes, yeah, the one fellow, I keep saying his last name wrong, but he's been yeah. around for a number of years. Mark Jokinen, Jokinen, yeah. Right. Yes, that's right. Um, but is there any, do you feel like, again, with the like, uh, like overwhelming presence of Amazon and that, um, and with COVID, of course, um, do you feel um like there's it's it's still like something even though it's hard work and everything do you feel like it's still something worth pursuing or someone who's really like passionate and into books and into writing and things definitely like that. definitely i i mean everybody used to come into my store in the first year and say how are you going to compete with uh you know my kindle or or amazon or whatever and it, it's mm -hmm. it's not about competition or it wasn't for me it's about creating something different i mean we have a million clothing stores but they mm -hmm. sometimes work because somebody's got a vision in what they're doing you know i think you have to be extremely well read and extremely interested in all kinds of writing um and it doesn't hurt to be connected to the industry i think that was very good for me um but i i made it you know i had a vision that i did not go in and say i'm gonna sell scarves and mugs as well like you know chapters and turn into a sort of bookstore on the side i think it really has to be focused on selling books and it focused on talking to people about new things that they've never seen before and trying to get new books in all the time that you've never seen before either but try you know and my bookstore was really i really wanted to have good writing like i didn't care if it was you know a thriller or whatever as long as it was a good writing um so i didn't have harlequin romances i didn't have you know anything like that in the store so people knew what they were expecting and they came in specifically for me and for, for my books and my choices and stuff like that so i think somebody else could do that in peterborough i'm sure i've i had um i would talk through a, with few people about selling the store but i don't think anybody realizes how much goes into selling the store um, and how much goes into buying a store um mm. it's very complicated system and it's uh you know it's not books on commission you're not it's not like a secondhand store where you don't like mm -hmm. you know you don't lose any money by having all these things in your store every book in that store i bought right like i bought it for a discount but i have to sell that in order to make money mm -hmm. so you know, it's a very, it's, it is more complicated than people think. And, and it was more complicated than I thought. I thought I could just go in, get some Ikea bookshelves, pop some books on the, sh on the shelves and be fine. But there, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but, but I hope that new bookstores open up in Peterborough, um, especially new bookstores, because it's great to have the secondhand and the students definitely love the secondhand. But it's also nice to have a, a collection of new books too, so they don't have to drive to chapters. Right. Yeah, no, that's... Uh welcome thing for me it's definitely well yeah. i congratulate you on being in the position where you can write i hope it's also good for you like overall like in a physiological health manner as well i think it will and, be yes and i uh, wish you the best of luck and thank you very much for being on this this is the first time on my podcast i've had a non-musician oh <laughs> I wanted to make it about artists in general, not just- I can start singing if you want. No, that's all right, that's all right. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes uh, I, I want to make it a little more like, you know, diverse. So I was glad that's I was great. able to do this. Um, it'll probably take me uh, most of the rest of the week, but I'll I'll send you a copy when I'm, when I'm done this anyway. Please do, thank you so much. And thank you for having read all my work. I really appreciate yeah. Well, not You're prisoner and chaplain, but uh, yes. But gotta I, read I, that I, one. try to read that one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank right. you, Tim. Right. Bye. Okay. Bye.
Well, I like it when I get something that's both pleasurable and educational, and that's what that was there with Michelle Berry. Uh, and also, it proves I can interview someone who's not a musician, and because I want to reach out to the expanse of Peterborough's art world. So I hope you enjoyed this. Next time you will get uh, maybe something a little different as well. I maybe even will have another episode before the end of 2021. It's a little bit of a question mark there. So you can catch me on Twitter, Electric City Bang, the name of my radio show that you'll hear a replay of this on, probably on December 18th. Um, and this podcast, Corner of Hunter and George, you can catch on iTunes, plus uh, Peterborough Independent Podcaster site as well. So hope you enjoyed that. My name is Tim, and I'll see you next time on Corner of Hunter and George.